If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. So welcome once more. It's the 13 Prom Community Rugby League show number two of 2023. We are delighted to be back. We've got another very, very varied show in front of us. So my name's Dave Parkinson. Helping to guide me through is as ever my oppo, the man in arms. It's Stevie. How are you doing, Steve? You all right? Uh, I'm doing fine, Parker. I'm just about thawing out from the weekend. Obviously, last week we were talking and we were deciding which games we were going to go to. But obviously, uh, the uh, the weather took a toll to uh, the majority of the games, and uh, I, I think it nearly took a toll to me, to say you the truth. But <laughs> hopefully, and by the looks of things, there's some games on this weekend for us to uh, obviously to get our teeth into. Yeah, so we're going to be uh, going through the action that did take place uh, from the Barla Open Age National Cup last week, just the one game. Um, we've also got two guests of very high esteem, which we will bring you, uh, one of which is Chris Chatton, the other one I am looking at at the moment. It's Phil Hodgson. How are you doing, Phil? You all right? I'm fine, Dave. How are you? You don't sound so well if you're talking about me being esteemed, but never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it's it's better than what we talked about in rehearsal anyway, isn't it? Definitely. (laughs) A a much better introduction than that, to be honest. So, um, uh, you know, Phil, I know a lot of people around the game will already know you. You'll be the first name on the uh, on the emails that they're going to send you on a Saturday night up and down, uh, you know, National Conference League where they're sending you copies of team sheets. I know we've worked together on quite a few yeah. of those, trying to read through. You're um, also the first name, Dave. We're both the first name on those emails, aren't we? But, but yeah, so I suppose, what you know, we, we wanted to sort of get you involved to have a little bit of a... A bit of a chat, really, about what your background is and how you've got to this sort of stage and also, you know, kind of... Um, how did you become so involved in rugby league, to be honest, Phil? Well, that's a, a timely question in a way. Um, how I became involved, first of all, in rugby league was by pure chance, a real sliding doors moment. 
Um, towards the end of last year, two or three of my mates were called round for the big Christmas pint, called on another lad who I've not been able to raise, uh, Graham Lister, Liza. We uh, find out he died, which was very upsetting to for months earlier. But um, why I'm talking now is through Graham Lister, through Liza. Because uh, when I was 11 years old, one November afternoon in 1963, I called around to see if I was playing out and it was getting in the back of his dad's van. Instead of me playing out, I said, no, I'm going down, down to the park side. Got some slight. And his dad said, run home and um, get, get a tanner and you can come with us. So I ran home. Mildred was was there and she luckily had a tanner. Ran back and they waited for me. Went down to watch some spit to OK out. And here we are now. I was hooked from the league. And um, if I'd missed that van, if I'd, uh, if I'd decided to play out instead, who knows? You'd be talking to nobody, which would possibly be better for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you're Hunslet man and boy then in that case, Phil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I, I was very fortunate because when I went down to Partside that day in 1963, um, Hunslet were a major power in the rugby league. Uh, they reached the quarter finals of the Challenge Cup the year before, lost at Warrington 7 5. Uh, in that very season, when I started watching the club, um, within about two months, we drew Wakefield at home in the first round of the Challenge Cup, Wakefield, the holders. Uh, 20,000 people at Parkside watching a far all draw. The raid player at Bellevue on a Wednesday afternoon, which I couldn't watch because I was at school. Um, we beat them, I think it was 14 7, 20,000 there again. And we were then installed as a Challenge Cup favourite by the Buckies to win the Challenge Cup. Um, and lost to Oldham in the third round, who was then in the second division. Had a man carried off, can't think why, in the first minute. But we lost We lost to them, dumped uh, out. And that's the kind of memory when you're 12 years old, when your team loses a game like that, the, the pain of it. Never really leaves you. It's different when you're an adult. But uh, yeah, from that time and then the following season, we did reach Wembley. But mm. against Wigan in one of the greatest finals ever. And uh, I've supported them on ever since. Did you get down to that final? Yeah, yeah. Again, a miserable a miserable day. I went down with my dad, who wasn't a rugby league sport at all, but it took, it took me down. I went on, on the train um, and we lost. And although Wigan were the Red Hot favourites, and I can't think why, because some slick team at that time, and um, I won't reel the names off, but they're a really, really good team. A pack full of internationals, back from Fred Ward, the captain of forward, who was the Yorkshire captain. Um, anyway, we lost, and uh, I was bereft. I was in a terrible state on, on the train home. And then the next morning, um, I woke up, still, still bereft, went downstairs, Defence had bought two Sunday papers, which was very unusual, and the back page flash glorious Hunslet go down in magnificent final. And it suddenly fell as so we'd won. Mm. You know, and I have said this, I, I was guest speaker at Hunslet Reunion about 15 years ago, um, and I said to the players then that although we lost that game, we actually won it in a way because by losing in glorious fashion, um, they became heroes. Um, what happened in that game? This is before your time. The score was two all, 
and Hunstead had a try disallowed in the corner by the Welsh winger John Griffiths, great winger. Um, if that try had been allowed, then under the rules at that time, which was the unlimited tackle rule, Hunstead were masters at keeping all the balls, so we would have gone five to win from, and the final result would probably, about 70 minutes later, still been five two, in the worst final ever. Well, the players would have been vilified. But Bill Ramsey did say to me afterwards, yeah, yeah, we're all heroes, but we've got losing pain. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that that kind of like, um, <laughs> that, that pales into in, into something compared with, uh, I, I'm just thinking about my first involvement in rugby league. I think I saw Lee lose against Swinton in a home a divisional premiership semi-final um, right, in, right. in the late, the late 80s. And then I didn't go near the place until I started playing a bit of rugby when I went to high school. And then I got the bug and it's never left me. Um, so it's amazing, isn't it, Steve? So what gave you that bug then? What, what, what actually gave you that bug? What, what caught you? I think it was I'd played it at school and right. I didn't know the rules really. So I wanted to find out more about it. referee. I started, <laughs> no. Oh, no. No. I started watching. Well, I soon realised after watching a few games, hang on, this game's way, way, way too tough if you've got to get to the very top level. And, and you know, you, you've got to be so committed. And it's, it had everything that I didn't, you know. So, so basically, yeah, you know, you need pace, you need power, you need strength. And I'm like thinking I was slow. Uh, I got slow hand speed. Um, I couldn't pass from, uh, you know, right to left, um, you know. And so all these all these things that uh, I then thought, hang on, I'm actually really enjoying watching it. And then right, you know, right. fortunately, as, as the bug sort of grabbed me, I, I gravitated more towards wanting to write and record about the game, uh, to be right. fair. And that, that's kind of like where, where, where my story sort of went. I'm thinking for yourself, Steve, as well. You know, I want to get you involved in this co- this conversation. To be fair, Steve. So, you know, you're you're a Saints supporter, man. Yeah, and boy. yeah. How did you get into it? Well, it's strange actually because I didn't play. Well, I played obviously rugby at school, but never got in the school team or anything like that. But obviously, the lads who were in, you were always sort of mates with, and that, that type of thing. But then, as well as you sort of got to the end of, you know, you were finishing school, etc. There were the lads who you're not about with who played rugby, community rugby or amateur rugby as, as, as it was then. And and mainly, mainly it, it, it was sort of, like I said before, it was pub teams and it was a, a very social thing. So what happened then, the teams that, that, that we sort of followed, you know, in, in and around that time were the uh, the Boilermakers in, in St. Helens who had, you know, some, some good Saints players who, who, who'd come through. They had Chris Arkwright, uh, Paul Round, uh, there's a few others as well who'd played in the round, uh, gone on to Lee uh, as, as well, a, a couple of others. So you then sort of gravitated towards obviously going watching the games, etc., uh, because they were playing to, to a certain extent. Uh, and it's just that sort of thing, you know, you know, even at that sort of time, like a lot of others, you know, St. Helens at that time, you, they were getting absolutely crucified by, by Wigan, who were winning them everything in, in front of them. Uh, but there were some great players and some, some they always played attractive rugby. But then I started taking me set some as a as he got older and and, and he got into it. But for, funny enough, going back to the community game or, or the amateur game, uh, when I, I, after I got married and we moved up to Newton, there was just 
in, in you know going in the park one day I was uh, uh, t- taking the the dog for a while and there was a, a kids game on uh, and then there was you know the open age match was on afterwards and I just stood watching I really enjoyed it you know I thought you know I'd not seen this for years it took me back to them sort of times when there was the you know the, the with the lads watching the the, the pub sort of games and and it was just one of those things where I thought this doesn't get enough coverage really and the way the way technology and the way the media uh, access it is going there's no reason why you know why, why they shouldn't you know because it, it, it's there now and obviously it's, it's taken off with the regards to you know like some Facebook Twitter and all those types of things gives them a, a, a you know a, a better sort of profile as it were uh, but the likes of what we're doing now, same as, uh, as we said before, we started it off as a community radio and we've been able to move it in, you know, so it's it's more tailored down to that community section. But rugby as a general, as I say, I mean, it's been, as much as I've enjoyed it, and I've, I've been watching Saints, you know, for, for a long time now, you know, to, uh, at uh, the Totally Wicked uh, Stadium. It, I've, I've got to say, it gets... Boring's probably the wrong word because they're winning, uh, but I, I think the fans get a bit, a little bit too sort of wrapped up into their own like you know, you know we're never going to get beat type of thing, and you can't criticise them. They're always good, and I'm thinking, you know, it's it's going to come unstuck someday. So, and that's why that's why I like the, the, the as I said, that's why I like the community game because uh, uh, you can see the passion in there. I mean, not just from the players, from the crowds, and and then when you look about. Like we spoke about how people invest the time into, you know, sort of doing things throughout the week, which people never see, you know, uh, you know getting all those mm. things together. Uh, and that, that's, you know, that's how I came into it. And that's how I've, I've my love, love of it has changed in, in, in a way. But yeah, I still love the game. I think it's great. And, and like when I went the other week, the, for the first time we went to the finals at Featherstone, and I met this guy here who sat in front of us. Uh, I feel was absolutely. I mean, we've got, got to say thanks very much for welcoming us there for, first and foremost. But uh, we've oh, had really? oh such great, have some, some such fun and some some great matches to watch, and and it's great for having you on here. I must admit, mate. Oh, it was a great day. That the four games, I think that day, wasn't it? It was. Was if you remember right, the last one we were there, the girls' games that were on at the on, on at the beginning, because obviously the girls' game. And women's game is, is new, and and as we, as we know, if you don't get those names of those players, whether it's the final on the NCL, it's it's it's, it's a difficult thing. But uh, Phil had this ploy, so he's going to run this marathon. You've heard about the guy who's run the marathon every day for three hundred sixty-five days. Phil oh, yeah, was yeah. Phil was doing this up and down these <laughs> steps to find out the score is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. I've still got five strength. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already covered a, a lot of ground mm. about how you first fell in love with the sport, Phil. But you yeah, know, your your involvement kind of developed. You know, tell us about that journey and which clubs you've been involved in. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I was straightforward supporter as a kid, and then when I got to fifteen, sixteen years old, I. Um, I played for the first time for Market District Boys Club, uh, which was an under 17s team, um, essentially Bramley Juniors. Okay. Um, 
The market district intermediates, the under-19, were a very good team, one of the best in the county. People like Graham Idle played for them. Uh, Graham Eccles, I think, played for them. Um, we weren't anywhere near that calibre. In fact, the very first game we played Kurtzville Boys, who had John Holmes playing for them at standoff. And the beat was 81 mil. And my memory is that John Holmes, who must have been 15 years old at the time, 16 years old, didn't score the try. But he made plenty, and that just tells me about the maturity of that lad. Um, Selling all along the winners. Um, anyway, the following season, I went to Hunslet, and Hunslet Juniors. Um, sadly, I wasn't signed by Hunslet, the, the professional club, which was everybody's ambition. The reason I wasn't signed for them was because I wasn't very good. So, uh, anyway, moved on, and then. Um, and then I played amateur open age rugby league for the Middleton Arms in the South League pub uh, for about 10 years. Um, Middleton Arms became the light heart. And um, so that was the sum of my kind of playing career in inverted commas. Um, and then a few years after that, I became involved as a rugby league journalist, uh, covering just the professional game at first. Uh, and after a few years of that, I was asked if I could step in. And you'll you'll appreciate the irony of this, Dave. I was told, you see, Steve Brady was a great lad. Steve, Steve Brady, a top man, one of the best editors I've ever worked under. But he asked me if I could. The only amateur game, I said, what's involved, Steve? He said, maybe take four or five results on a, on Saturday tea time. Um, I can't. I can't use the words I want to use now. <laughs> you, you know a little bit more involved in that, don't you? Um, <laughs> but in fairness, I built it all up as well. You know, you, you face more match reports, you try to do things a little bit better and you, you try to add things on. Um, so, yeah, I've been covering amateur rugby league now for nearly 30 years for various newspapers. Started with Rugby League um, and then we formed the League Weekly in 2002 when the League Express bought the League and then full circle joining the League Express which is the League Express and the League League. Um, I've also been involved off the field in in uh, Methley, which is the village where I live, which is just outside Castleford. Um, in the late 90s, I was involved in forming Methley Monarchs. Uh, which was uh, the pub based at Kelvin's Skirts pub in, uh, in, in Methley, which was the, uh, oh, the name of the pub because the wall closed down now. Anyway, based at Kelvin's pub. Ernest Skirret, who was uh, the great amateur figure, that's uh, Kelvin's dad. He, he was a coach and played at Bison's, the great Bison's team for many years. He, he oversaw it as well, people like Keith Dickman were involved. But Methley Monarchs went well, but we started too well, actually. Which is all, always a problem for amateur open age teams because that so well the bubble can burst and they're on a three year thing. Uh, so anyway, we folded after three years. Shortly after that, I was involved in forming Methley Warriors, which was the under eight team. So that's um, a separate club, the junior club. And then Methley Royals, which um, we formed about 15 years ago when some of the lads who played for Methley Monarchs wanted to start playing again. and. Um, we had a great team there, which played very well. Uh, coaches such as Paul Hanforth, who was a Methley lad, he uh, took us to uh, the top flight of the Pennine League and uh, the Yorkshire Cup semi-final. So, um, yeah, 
yeah, it's been it has been a journey. You use that word journey, you know, and it's um, quite quite a meandering journey, really. I still like it though because you know what what did you? I suppose the burning question is, what did you learn from the short lived club? So that that one that lasted three years that you then put right. forward to obviously the, the Warriors being a, you know a longer established club if you like. Big lessons from the the big lessons we learned with the Monarchs was that you start off too well in the lower divisions and players say that they don't like easy games but one or two players did say well actually they do like it and when you get a, a little bit higher up and games are tougher you're not winning every game in a camp so then some players float away so when we formed Methley Royals we knew we were prepared for the third year blip and it came that we battled through it we battled through it and uh, and that's when I, a little bit later Tigger, Paul Hanford came in and took us to, to a new level, you know. As I say, we reached the Oxford Cup semi-final, lost to Driglington, 1817, that was, what, nine years ago? It's only like um, a classic game, that, to be honest, Phil. It was a cracking game. Well, this is something I was thinking about earlier on, when you were both talking, when Steve was talking particularly about, about the amateur game. I believe that that rugby league at any level is very entertaining. Amateur rugby league is really entertaining, even if it's the lowest divisions of all. If you get two teams of equal standard playing each other, you get the same talking point, you get Super League, more or less. The same incident, you know, afterwards you can chill the cut over a pint or two, you know, and it, it's fantastic. And not just for the players and not just for the coaches or the administrators, it's for people when Saturday like like spend something afternoon watching a game and being entertained and having something to enjoy and talk about and relish or even more about after it's what it's all about i mean i can echo that to be honest steve because i mean we we both saw some some, some cracking northwest men's league rugby league didn't yeah. we last season i'm thinking uh you know the finals weekends yeah. uh the cup finals weekends as well had the three cracking games, you know, and, and um, Phil's right, isn't he? You know, this, this game is just entertaining. Probably, probably it gets more entertaining. The less, uh, the less involved professionalism is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously that's professionalism from, you know, getting that cash in hand type of thing. I mean, like, like we said before, uh, there's, there's not, there's probably more professionalism with a lot of these sort of community sides that than there are among the uh, official professional teams, as inverted commas as it as it were. Yeah, I'm, I mean some of the rugby, yeah, I've seen played over this last well, what five years or so since since we started the show, and it's sort of like not forced us to go out, but what we've done is rather than sticking to our own teams, as it were. We've gone out and we've watched other teams as well, you know, other other games as a neutral, and it, and, and watching a game as a neutral, it, it it's you know you, you doesn't half open your eyes, doesn't half open your eyes, you know, from you know sort of one side shouting at a referee's decision, <laughs> uh, and then the, the other side shouting at a referee's decision. You're thinking, well, actually, you know, when you take the game as a whole, he's not had, he's not really had a bad job, you know, because you you've got no buy into either side, as it were. Yeah, uh, but but uh, yeah, uh, just watching some of the young lads come through as well. Uh, I know Parky, obviously you were there on the uh, the tour uh, that over in over in Italy. Uh, 
you know, some of the other, those young lads, if, if, you know, when you see them playing, you think, my God, age-wise, they're only kids, but skill-wise, they're, you know, top drawer. Yeah. And talking about the age thing, just one little moment which um, I recall, which, which maybe I can tell you about. It's, again, Methley Royals and we're going well, and we're from the second team. Um, and the first, um, one of the first games, it may have been the first game that we played was against Cutside, who were near neighbours of ours. So we're actually in the in the National Cup on uh, Saturday at Patton Heath. Patton Heath, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I picked that as my game of the week, actually. But anyway, that's by the by. But we played at Cutside, we reformed. They were a good club. They have a good, a good club now as well, obviously. And we went along there with the second team. The first team was playing its last match of the season in the Pennine League uh, and needed to win this game to uh, take, take the title. So we went down, um, I looked after the second team, went down to Cutside, which is only short distance, and the mood was awful. It was terrible. Um, and we were in a bit of a state, we'd only got 14 players, I think one or two were holding the necks a lot to suggest injuries. But somehow, we kind of hung in there. And then towards the end, um, um, we, we scored a breakaway try and won the game. And one of the lads, it was uh, Craig Savage, who we may know, who was at Loch Lane now, I think. He's an international. He, he broke away and won the game. Anyway, another player we had that day playing for the second team was Dean Sampson, who was about 45 years old. And when we sat in the cut site changing room after he sat there and looking at me and he said, That is the best win I've had in all my career. I said, Really? You know, only time at Castleford and okay, I'm Hunslet in England and yeah, best win ever. And I'm not sure it it confirmed he meant it if I spoke to him now. But right then he meant it and I thought, Wow. You know, so that was basically a meaningless friendly. You know. And a man with that career behind him said that to me. I thought, wow, you know, this this is everything about amateur belief, really. I always love as well the fact that you can just drop these names in, which is like ace amongst your stories, to be honest, Phil. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really... Wait until I start talking about Keir Starmer, never mind. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, position did he play? Where did he come from? <laughs> Left wing, it wasn't quite standoff. No, never mind. <laughs> uh, left wing, left wing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you nearly missed that, Steve, didn't you? Then, <laughs> um, but but yeah, one of the things that because I mean, you mentioned the Craig Savage, and I, I got to know Craig pretty well. Uh, when uh, I went to Fiji with him, actually, you know, really, really decent, yeah. Man. um, Very, yeah, definitely. Had his uh, season ruined last year. Um, with an injury really early on where he did his knee. Uh, and I know that they were a little bit worried about him at one point, you know, that whether he'd be able to come back from it. But I believe he's he's back in training and hopefully we'll get to see Sav out on the field again, you know, this year because he's a, he's a top player and a top lad, isn't he? He's a top lad. That was the big thing. The other thing with Craig Savage, you know, because he's got two lads from his team that joined us at Nestle and we were playing in a game, I think, at yours. Um and he, he came along to help out. And he was going, I think, to South Africa with Val the following day. And he was helping me with the cones and the water bottles. And he was going around thinking, yeah, you know, he's a good tourist. Yeah. You know, he, he was willing to 
step forward and do the mundane things rather than stand back with the kind of I'm a star attitude. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's all, that's always a key, isn't it? You know, because um, I, I remember having this similar sort of conversation with Alan Coleman. Um, yeah, no, his, another top man. His, his selections, you know, for the, the Lions under-19s last year. Uh, and he was saying, sometimes you don't always pick the very best players. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. But you sort of see and you take into account with all the things like the trials and stuff, who does what and who's helped out and their attitudes, and it goes yeah. a long way. Um, so I, I completely agree with you on that. Especially yeah. on tour. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, there's, there's there's always things that happen when you're uh, away from home. And, uh, and to be honest, you know, um, Italy was one of those trips that had all sorts of things happen, to be fair, you know. Italy. Yeah, yeah, very, very much, you know. So the the under nineteens, uh, you know, European Championship team this past year um, had right. all yeah. stuff going on. You know, there was, yeah. a, you know, tragedy involved yeah. around, yeah. and then you know the, the the Queen died as well while we're away. So the lads yeah, had to yeah. to a, a different national anthem. They practiced it three times. I'll, I'll put that out there now. You know, before they actually sang it, uh, and it's things like it's things like that that nobody sees. Um, but we all stuck together on that, you know, and that's from a from a staff and player point of view, you know. So it's it's yeah. all it's going to be one of those teams that, uh, and you know, one of those sets of lads that I'll be particularly close to and have a great affinity with, you know, throughout yeah. the times. Um, and I mentioned last week because um, it was at that stage where we'd found out the dreadful news about Logan Holgate. Um, you know, so again, I just want to just mention really, really quickly because I, I I know that it was his uh, his funeral today, and sadly I couldn't be there, uh, but I know that there was a, a really good turnout from the lads on tour, and I think that that just sort of sums up what that that character yeah. and what that squad was like. Yeah, 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 very sad. Um, so 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 yeah, so we 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 have again gone you know quite a long way re regarding this chat, haven't we, Phil? Um, yeah. So, so you said about you said about sort of getting involved. Um, you know, when we sort of writing about the uh, the community game and how that yeah. evolved, and you know, you did take it 
you know, you took it miles, to be honest, you know, because I think the reason that the clubs are doing what they're doing now in the National Conference League and the, the team sheets and the way that it's set out is probably as a result of, you know, your discussions with various um, secretaries down the years. Yeah, um, I think, going, yeah, the design of the National Conference League team sheet, which you'll see yourself week in, week out, you know, when you get the team sheet and then the format where three columns one at a time, then the home side scorers, the away team scorers. Um, I think I think I worked with that, I can't quite remember, with Trevor Hunt, himself a journalist, you know, and uh, so an appreciation of what's needed, you know, and... Um, yeah, so this goes back to when they were all faxed through at the time on a Saturday tea time, which quite frankly for me worked better because you got it right at the side immediately. But anyway, that's an old fogey talking. Um, and and you'll know yourself, Dave, the, the thing on a Saturday tea time, I'm quite looking forward to the start of March and the season starting again, you know, because you sit there on on Saturday and the results are coming in and uh, there's a real buzz. The National Conference League is a big competition. It's an exciting competition. And something Steve took on a few minutes ago, I think, I can't, we talked about professionalism mm. at amateur level. And I thought then, the National Conference League clubs and other clubs beyond the National Conference League are professional in the way they run. They are people who work for them voluntarily, volunteers. Who bring skills from beyond the game to their clubs to the clubs that they love, you know, and uh, that is, and you're an example of that, Dave. But the East, you know, um, you've seen plenty of people there, you know, there's so many clubs right around the National Conference League, all of them, I'd say, there were lots of people there who were very talented, very hardworking, and very professional people who bring those qualities to those clubs, you know, and it makes our job easier, really. Uh, I, yeah, well, although not always totally straightforward, but anyway. Again, I'd echo that, you know, apart from just when, you know, perhaps, and again, this is this is my big bugbear, you know, so I'm going to get it out there, you know, sort right. of, so you don't have to, Phil, but when you get I'm it... A, I, may, I may be about to guess what you're going to say, but carry on. Well, I was, I was going to do it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when you get a team sheet, and either you can't quite read the names on it, or then the people don't put the names on the back of the scorers and they just put the numbers. Because as, as it yeah. starts now, you, yeah. you know, with, without how you, you take two pictures generally, don't you know? You know, so yeah. we get, so just, just for anybody who's uninitiated and doesn't realise, you know, uh, come the time when a, a game's finished and a team sheet has been filled in, you'll get two pictures in your inbox. One of the actual team sheet and one of the other side of the team sheet, which has all the scoring details. And it's amazing how many times you see it where somebody's just put the number and not the name yeah. of the person on the other yeah. side. Yeah. And it, it just means that it, for, for me, it just adds extra time to it, you know, because it's you're not having to flip through and going right. Okay. Crept in in recent... yeah. It's something that's crept in in recent years, that actually. And um, you've actually reminded me because it's several months, isn't it, since we were dealing with it on Saturday evenings and mm. it's kind of almost forgotten that, you know, and uh, again, you know, yeah, yeah, the first Saturday in March, I was probably getting those team sheets and thinking, why didn't I think of this earlier? Yeah, a reminder to all clubs to put names against scores rather than numbers. Um, because, yeah, you talk about a few minutes, a few minutes there, a few minutes there. How many games are each Saturday? 
20 12 games 25 games and and the conference, you know, and if you get a few minutes in, a few minutes there, and it mounts up because we are battling the clock, aren't we? Really, from five pm. Well, well, I know, so I know. Certainly, I've spoken to you at certain points on a Saturday night, Phil, and you're you're still going at like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night. I had you to be fair, trying to trying to get your copy ready for the next morning to send over so that it's all included in the newspaper. Yeah, well, I have to file it. Well, I have to file for the League Express news and my comment column by nine. AM and the National Conference League as soon after that as possible, really. And there's usually something missing that you're chasing, isn't there? Um, normally, in my experience, what causes the blitz is um, if the regular at the club, or you, you know, will send something in, doesn't know it, turns out he's on holiday or she's on holiday, and then somebody else may not have done it or something's gone askew somewhere. So then there's normally maybe one, two or three, to taste a little bit like that. But generally speaking, that's off to the National Conference League Club because they are fabulous, aren't they? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I mean, there's um, there's so many good clubs that I've kind of got to know, really, over yeah. certainly the duration of doing this show and speaking to brilliant people at the likes of West Hull and, you know, yeah. and it kind of, it broadens your horizons a little bit. I know this sounds a little bit funny from a lad from Lee just sort of talking about teams in Halifax and Hull, but you know what I mean? No, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I, I still get excited with the names of clubs from Cumbria. Mm. So, you, you know, I'm talking to somebody from Cumbria, you know, fantastic. You know, you know, there's something evocative about it really you, you know you are broadening around and i'm not talking about the team from leeds where i'm from or castleford you know i'm talking about teams from you know in all the time i played i never played outside yorkshire i never played outside west yorkshire yeah. i don't think you know you know so it's uh, alien territory and it's nice dealing with it you know um so i guess because you've been involved as long as you have you've kind of like you say you've kind of come full circle haven't you you know so um uh, we've we mentioned there about oh that must have been a memorable game do some of the finals that you've been to or semi-finals kind of stand out is there anything that sort of just is, is there in the forefront of your mind right now well what sticks in my mind again when i first started covering the amateur game and the Valo national cup um was huge it's still huge but not as many teams enter it unfortunately um but two successive National Cup finals, both at Salford in, I think, 96 and 97. Uh, Skirla against Ellenborough Rangers. And um, the following uh, year, there was Ellenborough against Dudley Hill. And both of them were absolutely fantastic classic games. And more followed. Holden St. Adams against Wathbrow, which is another one. But that first, um, I, th um, I think it was the first game, Ellenborough against Skirla. And in the preview of the game, um, I went to see Steve Ferris, who had been the coach of Hunslet, <laughs> bringing Hunslet in again. And why I did that was Hunslet had played in the previous 12 months both Ellenborough and Skirla in, the, I think, the Challenge Cup and maybe the John Player trophy. So he got an insight into both teams. But why I wanted his insight was because Ellenborough, who are now in the National Conference League, of oh. course, they've just been admitted which is really good. Um, but Ellenborough tended to more or less run riot in the Cumberland League. Um, and then, despite having, generally speaking, um, one-sided games within it, 
able to somehow up the tempo in the tough national cup games against leaders around the country. So they interested me. So I, I kind of called them the immovable force. And then Skirla, who were in the whole league at that time, or the National Conference League, they had during that season gone six games without conceding a point. It was incredible. In fact, in the seventh game, I think against Westall, Westall went for a drop goal in the first minute just to, <laughs> just to, just to rid themselves of that worry. You know, um, those so, humbleside trolls there. <laughs> yeah. So it was Skirl against Ellenborough, the immovable force against the, the irrepressible force against Immobile, something like that. You know, fantastic final. Big crowd. Salford and Bala put the boat out as well, you know, with the free match hospitality, free course lunch, free wine, which that was a lesson as a journalist, actually. I, I did think after the pudding, I thought maybe I've had a little bit too much wine here. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't show in the report. But uh, I, I was thinking if it was me that I'd been eating, I'd probably gone more for the pudding and then I'd been falling asleep in the last 10 minutes, you know, like what happened <laughs> these days, you know. And, you uh, might have done, but it was such a fantastic game, you wouldn't have fallen asleep. You couldn't have fallen asleep. It'd have been all right. You know? no. <laughs> and, um, uh, those games stand out for me. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and also, as well, um, I, we, we have reached this sort of stage of the season where the uh, the Barley Yorkshire Cup final is in front yeah. of us. I, I know you, you'd commented in your in your piece this week that you know you didn't have as much room or or time to to put anything together as you would do normally. Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose having having sort of reflected on that, we can give you the opportunity to sort of tell us what we need to know about these two sides that are going to be you know playing against each other at Featherstone on Saturday. Yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily have talked too much about the teams. In the preview, what I do like to do is a roll of honour in the ropes to the final and that kind of thing, you know. But, um, yeah, but I do know both teams fairly well. In fact, again, when I'm sitting now at Hunslet, one of the players that Hunslet have signed is Morgan Punchard, who spent some time at Lock Lane, Lock Lane Lambert is now with Thyston and is on the coaching staff with Thyston. So, um, my feedback with Thryston, who I do know well, um, is that they've rebuilt after having been quite a power a few years ago. Um, they've got a very young team, um, fairly lightweight team, but very fast. The average age, I think, is 21. Um, so that's the Thryston side. The Normanton side is heavier, and Two of the players who are at Normanton did play for us for quite a few years at Matthew Royals, and they're two of the best lads I've come across in the rugby league. That's the Biscom brothers, Adam Biscom, the way of Carl Biggin, and Stu Biscom. Um, so I will be rooting for them a little bit as well. Um, but Normanton are a heavier team. We've got players with National Conference League experience in there, which can be helpful, although we all know that. There's plenty of good teams outside the National Conference League as well. So I think it'll be a very interesting game, and a lot could depend on the host of that slope that goes to this road at the Millennium Stadium, couldn't it? You know, um, I was talking to Morgan earlier on about whether we try to turn the Normanton around up and not let them split there. When's this going out, by the way? Um, Probably in about, well, an hour and a half, two hours. Oh, too late then. That's me scuppered. Um, <laughs> It was my idea anyway, it was a basic tactical thing, if you're playing a heavier team, force them back in the corner, you know, and let them work to get out, you know, so that may be 
maybe uh, apply. I don't know. Gotta say that. Gotta say that Featherstone pitch doesn't have Texan matches through a season, doesn't it? It really does. What what a fantastic club, Steve. Yeah. You know the amount of games they put on. You know we've been at games. That I think I'm pretty sure we've been at games where the weather have been bad throughout the week, and we've sat there and we thought that that pitch was great. And it stood up. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the the slope might help. Um, but even so, you know, it's pristine. In fact, it's a fantastic club. The entire. The only issue with Fenton Rose, and you may be about to guess what I'm going to say, is that there is a spot from the press box up in the top left-hand corner where you've no idea <laughs> who scored or whether scored or not. But other than that, design fault. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. But there's yeah. got, there's got to be one question I've got to ask, and Parkies knows what I'm going to ask, don't you? Is when did you start using the binoculars? Uh, when I was two. <laughs> <laughs> when? Uh, oh, I use them now. <laughs> In fact, you reminded me. I must take them on Saturday. I must take them with binoculars. You need get uh, a light. You need to get a lighter pair than that, Phil. I'm surprised you've not got repetitive strain injury on, on your wrists. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a narrow view of the game I'm just looking through binoculars you know but uh, yeah yeah I think I may have started using them first at Hunslet mm. you know so I'm here at Hunslet now and I love the club um, I think you've both been in the press box at Hunslet and it's you're well, a bit far away from it. that pitch aren't you so far away it's a, um, an athletics ground really yeah a big track and you know, for some reason the uh, press box it's the old time iron box is in the corner you know, so you're about three miles away from the far corner. <laughs> so, um, which is another issue which I could publicly flag up. I think the Rugby Football League should introduce a rule at professional game where whoever scores should make himself known. Maybe do a pirouette on the centre spot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we get, get all kinds of entry to like Strictly Come Dancing then, wouldn't we? From well, rugby? Yeah, look at that. He's got the skills. <laughs> And to be, to be fair, a couple of the games, obviously some of the games I've been at with Phil, I, I, I can totally understand why you have the, the binoculars. Because, I mean, A, you don't always know the, the, the players so well in, in yeah. some respects. Uh, but even then, you, you, you're looking at sort of trying to catch the number on the back of the shirt if you can't actually catch, yeah. the, you know, sort of his face and yeah. all that sort of thing. Uh and I'm going back to what you, the part of you were saying earlier on about you know sort of team sheets and all, all that sort of thing. I mean, this is it's so important. For, you know, that clubs have got to, you know, they've got to help you. Help, they've got to help themselves to help you because by yeah. filling those things in correctly, it means that information that you are then putting out is correct. Because an old parky uh, for some of the commentaries that he's done in the past has got has got slated because he's mentioned. You know, you know. Oh, that's not the player's name, but the you know that's not hasn't been Parky's fault. That has been on the team sheet. The wrong, you know, the wrong name has been put on there. So that's how, you know, sort of teams have got to, you know, in the first instance, you've got to help yourself, and then yeah. you know, sort of you guys, you know, put on this information. I'll give that correct information. Well, I've got an example of that. At one time, the old Yorkshire Sport newspaper, which was a Sunday paper, you know, and um, uh, my my job for them, or task with them, was to send a round-up of all the National Conference League games involving Yorkshire clubs by 6pm. 
on the Saturday evening, 5 p.m. initially, which was a bit tight because we ended up finishing well for, you know. But anyway, I did it. But part part of the thing also that I had to do was once I'd emailed the copy to phone them and tell them I'd sent it. Now, one lad who was a journalist with the Oxford at the time was Dave Craven, uh, who we all know, uh, who also played for Ulton. And twice on the trot, he asked me, have you mentioned my trifle? And twice on the trot, I said, what tried in? And he was playing in the centre, and what had happened each time was that instead of him wearing the three shirts on the, on the sheet, it was wearing the four shirt and vice versa. So he, he, each time, they tried being credited to his teammate. You know, there's a classic example. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and it's just little, you know, it is only a simple thing like that, but like you say, yeah. I mean that can snowball, and some of them can get you know re really tetchy about about things. Because I know we uh, at uh, some of the finals that we went at Warrington, uh, there was Burton Wood uh, had, had been playing, and the winger had scored three tries, and we didn't give him, didn't give him another match. But to be fair, there was a lot of other players in that game who'd had really, really good games. And I said, yeah. you, can't, you can't just give it because he scored three tries. If there were three spectacular tries, then for dues, yeah. you know. Uh, I very much agree with that. In mm. fact, we'll discuss this and, but when we're you know, them on the match. Like, like, for example, a sponsor who perhaps never been to a game before would give them on the match for somebody who scored three tries. People like us who, well, in your, in the case of you two, you'll, you'll do know the game. I'm not sure I do know the game, but anyway, you, you start to think you know the game and you know that there's more to the game than just scoring tries. So therefore, you can get too clever sometimes and not pick somebody who's got a hat trick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if somebody's just catching the ball and going over for trying to be crazy by somebody else, then no, it's the creator. Yeah, Perhaps. yeah, yeah. It was uh, we, we we were accosted at the back of the stand, weren't we, Dave? I mean, don't get me wrong; it was all very light-hearted. <laughs> uh, but uh, a, a certain, you know, winger came. I said, oh, "Hang on, did you give my other match?" Said, yeah, we did. I scored three tries, and I, why didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you well, was the, the, the rest of your game. <laughs> um, I've had the thing after games when I've been sat there typing the report, and it's all quiet, and nobody in the stand, and then. Somebody may saunter up who's involved with one club, you know, and um, the person, that kind of person will often say, how so-and-so didn't get the manly match, I don't know, and it'll be a second row, perhaps, mm -hmm. who hadn't done anything spectacular. You know, you've not really noticed him. Yeah. But it might have done 50 tackles. That That's right, yeah. yeah. See, see the middle of the town, you know, whereas, you know, I, I sort of kind of go for the hooker or half backs mm. because they stand out but again we all know that any level of the game the half backs don't do anything without the forwards setting a platform that's right yeah you know but again the problem is picking a prop difficult because it's not always too clear how long a prop being on mm. with the rotation so yeah that that is that is one of the parts of the game there's only two things that i don't particularly like in the league journalist on today with um, and one is picking the man on the map, and the other is writing a bit of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's sadly that's mm -hmm. sadly part of what we what what we do as and how we're involved as well, isn't it, Phil? Um, yeah. And and to be fair as well, um, you know, there's it's been a really 
bad week for the sport, hasn't it? You know, with uh, people yeah. that have been lost. It has been a bad week. Um, David Oxley, very sad. We've lost statesmen. Yeah. We've lost a few statesmen from the last few days. Um, David Oxley was a statesman and he really did with a key figure in rescuing the game from the uh, Pile of State in the 1970s, actually. Uh, and Fred Lindup, of course, lost him and he was uh, he was a lot at the grassroots as well as at the professional level, as did David Oxley. Um, and then there's bad news that's come my way just today. Um, Maurice Aldroyd, who was a towering figure in amateur rugby league, and a statesman um, who could um, readily shake hands with leading political figures or, well, figures anywhere really. He passed away this morning. Um, he'd not been well for some time, dimension I understand. Um, then I also had news that um, um, another key figure who passed away recently is uh, Malcolm. Uh, sorry about this. Uh, Malcolm Fairhurst, uh, who was uh, a key figure at Barlow for, for many years, uh, also with the Penal League and the Wakefield and District League. Um, so we're losing a few people and. Um, uh, they are people from a different era when things were done differently. Um, but they left a great legacy, all of them. The thing is, though, I mean, like, th- this is again why I think it's important to acknowledge where you've come from and the people who dug the well. Sometimes we're, we're not as good at, uh, in this sport at doing that, particularly at the top level, but you know, um, we, we need to sort of acknowledge just what these people did for the sport don't we yeah yeah we do but that that's not just the thing that's usually to the league is it you know that's a tendency i think in many lots of life to kind of ignore history really you know but you've got to know the history of what's happened before to to know where, where you're heading and why you are where you are now you know but um yeah i mean i have a, have a vivid memory the emerging Nations uh, World Cup final at Edding Lane for that 2013. I've been at that again, great occasion. Um, and um, I was just walking up to Michael's Lane, looked across to that little gap near where the club offices are at Edding Lane. There were three men standing there together, and it was David Oxley, Maurice Oldroyd, and Harry Jackson, who was another towering mm. figure on very well. He was involved with Hunslet, I believe, some wouldn't believe in. Central League as well. All of them stood together and I just nodded and kept on thought, oh, I have to go back here, you know, and just because they were also, I have to say, political enemies in the sense, because there was a big battle between the Rugby League and Bala yeah. for control of all kinds of things, actually. The youth game and public finance and so on. So it was a big battle, but um, they kind of summed up. Rugby League really in it in the best way because Rugby League as a game on the field is a game game where uh, there's no quarter after all given and people will knock seven bells out of each other and have a pint after you know laugh about it mainly Uh, and to some degree not quite the same degree that applies off the field as well politically you know and um, you know I know that uh, Maurice Aldroyd who was the most thick-skinned individual 
come across really. And um, David Oxley and Harry Jackson. Um, I'm not sure we'll see their like again, you know, because. I mean, to be fair as well, Phil, you need that sort of friction, don't you, to to, to progress anything? Because if, if, if you just surround yourself with people that are always going to agree with you, then you're never, ever going to progress. If you've got somebody that thinks slightly differently, then you're going to, you are going to progress because you've got to come to some sort of arrangement, haven't you, and some sort of agreement, and there's, there's discussion points to be had. There's still that needed, to be fair. Yeah. Well, that's a very good point, and that takes me to something David Oxley said to me once. Um, this is, again, Methley Monlets, and we were in the Leeds and District League at the time. And David Oxley was the president of the Leeds and District League, and I was at a meeting um, where a chap called Frank Robinson, another great figure, but he was a little bit misinterpreted with Bartler. This is going back 25 years, I think. And he's trying to get people to join him in forming an alternative vehicle for the amateur game, I think he's calling it the Federation. Um, and I was arguing against it, Trumpet's Law, um, saying, you know, to the problem with Barlow, just try to fix it, not start something else again. Anyway, it came to the vote, and I abstained because I didn't have a mandate from my club. I wanted to go back and talk about it. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved, Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Anyway, afterwards, I was talking to David Oxley, and um, he said, because he was also, I think, the chair or the president of the student league, and they said what he really liked about the student league was that people went into meetings determined to tease out the solution, not mm. to win an argument. And that really stuck in my mind ever since. And that's when David Oxley really. Yeah, that's about negotiation, that isn't it? That's negotiation skills. Negotiation and, and compromise. Yeah, yeah. Compromise, yeah. 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 Agreement that somebody else may have a different and valid point of view to yours. You know, which is something we could have in all walks of life. Now, that's too right. That's too yeah. right. Yeah. Things are too much black and white. Mm. Agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, which is why I don't do, well, well for many reasons, I do social media, but, you know, it's, um, you can be pillarized, but mm. expressing nuance, can't you? Never mind, not agreeing totally. Uh, 
Phil, we've loved having you on tonight. Absolutely fantastic hearing all about your background. It's been really good being on. Thank you, Jacks. Um, I, I hope that you, you know, with us having had this chat, we could maybe get you involved again over the course of the season. Well, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. We could, we could be doing, you know what, 13 program daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. It's been fabulous. Thank you, Jacks. Thank you. Oh. So, I mean, isn't it great hearing those stories, Steve? I, I, I knew he was going to be value for money. It's a guy who, same as I say, I just wanted to get him involved because uh, mm. uh, just just being sat outside of him there at Featherstone on a couple of occasions, absolute gentleman. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's what the game's all about. The guy's what the game's all about. And he's mentioned a, a couple of people there who have obviously passed away recently. Uh, but you, you know that we need characters in the game, and Phil's one of those characters. And I'm sure uh, there's a lot of people out there who'll be listening to this, uh, will have read Phil's stuff in the League Express and other publications in the past, but also know him as well, and uh, will have enjoyed that interview. And I'm looking forward to uh, to having him back on, not in the too different future. Well, it's been oh. very enjoyable being hosted by you. You're both, you're both gentlemen, which I never thought I'd say about anybody from Lancashire. Lancashire. <laughs> oh, there it is. There's the barb. There's the barb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah, thank you again for your time, Phil. Much appreciated. Um, and, yeah, you, you, you can now say you're a friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Phil Hodgson, great to hear him. And uh, yes, no doubt we'll be hearing from Phil again over the course of the season. Um, I did want to reflect, Steve, on the fact that we, you touched upon it at the start where we were talking about the um, uh, the Bala National Cup and yeah. the fact that, you know, uh, we had a, a weather-affected round, it would be fair to say, last week. Only one game survived. That was West Hull against Rochdale Mayfield. And uh, a good win for West Hull as well, because that was potentially a banana skin tie for them, in fairness. And all they were playing at home. Um, but again, they, they named a, a strong-sided West, in fairness. Uh, scored tries through Shaw, Lazenby and Howlett, with Tyson Wilson kicking a couple of goals. Shaw scoring twice, of course, in that one. Uh, Mayfield, interestingly enough, uh, have named a certain Sean Penkovich amongst their ranks these, mm. this season, which I think is a, um, a huge statement of intent there. Because, I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of, you know, sort of speaking to Penky and uh, knowing him uh, of his time that he spent in the professional ranks. And I tell you what, he is a class act, a total class act of a player. Um, so he um, actually scored the first try for Mayfield and they scored uh, another try through uh, another fella that has played professional level, Reese Hamlet. Uh, so yeah, good to sort of like see a couple of these guys uh, still doing the rounds and, and, you know, still giving back to the community game because, you know, let's be honest, without a community game, you don't have a professional game either. No, not at all. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, in terms of say, I was, I was digging out all my layers ready for going out at the, at the weekend uh, to, to, to get over and, and watch some of the rugby. Uh, certainly uh, over the, to, Hurst Finch, uh, which obviously I think they're playing Feisting, if uh, I, I'm not wrong. Uh, and obviously all the, uh, I'm looking at Twitter at the update, so oh, that game's off, that game's off. I don't think, we've not heard anything yet from uh, from Hurst Finch. And then suddenly, ping, over it came. And 
it was cancer. But it was understandable. I suppose I was just living in hope, to tell you the truth. But it's, it's that time of the year, right, isn't it? And I mean, that's always going to happen. So you just got to get used to it, as it were. Can't remember whether I mentioned the scoreline, by the way. It was West Hull 20, Rochdale Mayfield 8 in the game, which went ahead. Um, as you spoke about, the rest of the uh, the rest of the programme got postponed. Um, all of the games, apart from one, being played this coming weekend. So it all starts off on Friday evening, Siddle hosts Westgate in the opener. And then on Saturday, Castleford Panthers at home to Hindley, Driglington at home to Upton. Waterhead Warriors at home to Shalston Rovers. I'm still picking that one out as an interesting one to to look out for. Uh, you heard Phil before saying he mm. was looking forward to Thato with Crusaders against Cutsight Raiders. Um, I actually fancy going over to St. Helens for that one. Mm. It, it should be a good game there. Uh, I mean, certainly listen to what... Uh, and this is this is what we've been on about before, isn't it? Is we've now got a view of what the Yorkshire team, you know, a Yorkshire team is like like Phil. Phil's just give us the the inside on on, on what they uh, cuts out Raiders, are, uh, you know, are like. I mean, we've always said we can speculate from what results, but obviously, yeah, he, he knows the inside story, as it were. And this is why we need more clubs also contributing. Yeah. I'm interested to talk to as many many clubs as we possibly can, um, and also we're still open for this, uh, you know, person to join us who um, would perhaps like to further the journalistic ambitions, maybe even speak to a couple of these clubs themselves. They could build it as a profile for themselves. They could, um, you know, it's a, it's a real opportunity, isn't it, for people to get involved within the show. Yeah. Uh, and they can do that through, um, you know, dropping a message to our Twitter account, to our email account as well, Steve. You know, you've got the address of that one. Yeah, that's 13proam at gmail.com. So proam is all one word. Uh, if you drop us a, an email we can tell you you know sort of what's involved what we're looking for and you know you can do as much or as, as little as you want and even if it's not you if you've got a, a mate who's maybe doing media studies or that type of thing at, at a college etc and you think it might be something they might be interested in uh, yep get them food drop us a line uh, we don't bite uh, <laughs> uh, we'll certainly give you as, as much support as, as we can uh, you know, just starting off in little ways, it's just uh, because, I, like, I, like I was saying earlier on, I mean, I've followed the, the uh, amateur rugby for, for a while because of mates at such a playing, and it's been a social thing. So there's no reason why you can't get involved. It doesn't mean for say, you know, you have to turn out and play rugby or anything like that. But if if, if you're keen on to, you know, you want to do that little bit of report on a team. Uh, if you just want to say, right, okay, these are the scorers, this is when they scored, these are the names, want to send that through to us. If you want to interview the coaches or the players and you're up for that and want to have a go at that, that's that's fantastic. As a, we're trying to build this show uh, as broad as we can uh, and make it accessible to as many people as we can uh, and give uh, you know people the, the opportunity. Uh, and as Davis rightly said, the... Uh, uh, it's always something you can, uh, you know, put in the bank. And if you uh, want to go on and, and do it professionally, at least you've got something done on your CV that you can uh, can show and you know sort of uh, give people to listen to. 
Um, now, unlike as Phil was saying, I'm quite involved in social media. Um, my preferred method is Twitter. I know if anybody generally sends me a message on Facebook, I, I, I might reply to him in about a week's time. You know, that's sort of like the, the sort of running time there. So don't send a message on, on Facebook if you can find me. Um, do By all means, drop me a message on Twitter at Dave Parkinson RL, um, and we can certainly have a chat and get you involved in the show, just like Steve was saying. Um, so, so yeah, it looks like an interesting weekend of fixtures, that doesn't it? Um, well, you know, the, we 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 commented before about there being a, a good set of ties there. Yeah, uh, and like, again, like we were saying before, I mean, a lot of those that uh, if you 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 just want to see some rugby, you don't have to specifically go and you know, if your team's not playing, it's not one of them, or I'm not going to go. Uh, I would suggest, like I'd said earlier on, some of the best games I've seen this season. Of where uh, I've rocked up and it's two teams who I've, I've not seen play before uh, and you, you watch the game in a totally different light because, you know, you, you haven't got a bet, any buy-in to either side uh, and there's a lot of good uh, good uh, good matchups. Um, there's there's one other thing that I do want to raise before we move on to our second guest, which is Chris Chatton. Um, and that was... Um, something else that I posted on my Twitter account over the course of the last few days. Um, and I would love to speak to professionals and ex-professional players that have previously played at community clubs to get their view on what it was like, what their journey was like. Cause we, you know, we, we, we pick up, we pick up newspapers, don't we? And we see such and such a body's playing for Wigan or such and such a body's playing for Leeds. And you, you, you always read the, um, uh, you know, the press releases, which said they've been signed from the academy. But that's just part of the story. Mm. Where have those players come from? How did they get there? How did they get selected? What What was the, the whole the whole tale? I'm sure there's lots of people that have played professionally or semi-professionally over the years um, that have come through the community club setup. And some of those people are involved back in the community game. And those are the people that we want to hear from, you know. So I, I'd love to hear from the fact, you know, um, there was a piece that was carried on Love Rugby League recently from Paul Wood uh, yeah. about going back to Sheffington, mm-hmm. uh, given his time as a, as a coach there of the under-15s, I think it is, that he's, he's coaching there, and saying that he's loving life in Rugby League again. Those are the sort of stories that we want to talk about, uh, you know, and I, I want to find out, you know, kind of if, if, if you were previously signed as a professional and don't get me wrong, things didn't quite work out. You ended up sort of hating the sport for a while because, you know, let's be honest, it has had this effect at professional level at certain points. And But you've had your interest rekindled. I want to hear those stories. I want to be able to put our community clubs front and central and say, look, there is this pathway there is this pathway. You can also get involved at community level. doesn't matter what your involvement is, but I, I want to hear those sort of stories as well. So um, that, that was a little appeal. So again, if you're listening to this and you think, you know, I know just a, I know just the, uh, just the person there was, Oh, I'm, I'm sure he played, you know, 20 odd games for Barrow Red. We want to hear this. Yeah. We want to hear about that. And we want to hear them getting involved in the community level again. Yeah. Well, well, I've certainly got somebody in mind. Uh, I, strangely enough, uh, when I was at uh, the end of season, uh, Newton Storm had invited me down for the the, the presentation, uh, and uh, Paul Lachlan was uh, out there giving the, the awards out. But Mike Bennett was doing the MC, uh, and uh, apparently, from what I can gather, if, I, if I'm not wrong, I think uh, Mike's kids uh, are down playing in the uh, 
you know, sort of the you know, some of the other teams down at Newton Armies, he, 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 you know, wanted to get involved a bit more. So uh, I'll see if I can get hold of Mike and see if we can. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll be keen because he's a, he's a, he's a tidy MC. I can tell you. Oh, maybe you can teach me a thing or two. To be fair, you know, I'm sure there's some people that'll say, "Oh, that that Dave, he can he can talk on a radio show, he can talk on a podcast, but he can't. He, he's not good at presenting on a stage." <laughs> yeah. So, so Dan, so Dan Smiler uh, Newton, if you, oh, yeah. yeah, if you uh, want to get hold of uh, uh, get hold of him for us and, and tell him we're interested in, in him coming on and tell us all about when he was playing for Saints and of course how he got there. And uh, um, um, you know what? What? Uh, what? He, what his uh, thoughts are on on both the professional, I suppose, and the the community game as well. Now, say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Right, so we've had guest number one, Phil Hodgson, a man that I, I know has, you know, had such a varied past. We're going to speak to another one now. From players, referees and competitions to clubs and playing fields. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We talk about the lot on the 13 Pro-Am Community Rugby League Show. So for our next segment, as you know, we always like to get guests on the show. And we've got another guy, uh, Chris Chatton. He's one of the most interesting fellas that certainly I've met in rugby league circles. He's been involved in uh, the setting up and running of a club in Bath. He's been involved in the uh, Lionhearts programme. He's currently involved with universities and has recently joined the board of a, a newly formed wheelchair side. Uh, Chris, have I mentioned all your credentials right there, mate? Yeah, it's certainly all the most recent ones over the last few years. Yeah, just uh, pleased to be invited on and um, hopefully we can have a good chat about it all. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I wanted to get you on because, you know, um, I mean, let's start with the with the, with the current because, uh, I mean, obviously I'm involved with the Lions programme, you're involved with the Universities programme. The two of those are having a meeting of minds, aren't they, you know, so the... the England University side, which is what everybody's playing towards at this moment in time, uh, yeah. on the selection process, um, th- that sort of like comes under the Lions program, doesn't it? But I wanted to have a bit more of a chat with you about, you know, sort of your role within that university setup, if you like. 
Yeah, well, we can go through the history, I suppose. We've been involved in the um, the university's um, regional events for quite some years. Started off when I was sort of down in the in the west of England um, with various other rugby league roles. Started off with the the southwest universities, who were you know, relatively successful during the period that that few years due to the. Um, the old goals were in League One at the time, and, mm-hmm. and they recruited heavily from lads from the north, I think, uh, went on to their university programmes. Um, so it was a relatively good side filled with lads from the University of Gloucester, uh, Exeter, quite a strong side at Exeter, and also Bath University at the time had quite a strong um, rugby league setup. So I did that for sort of four years um, and then sort of came back up north within the university um, regional setup that was relatively recently the first year out of COVID-21 um, team manager for these sides and I don't consider myself a coach I've previously had a probably an expired coaching qualification but I think my my skills are more in sort of administration and, and the management of teams and, and clubs so uh, migrated back up north, which is my homeland, based in York, to um, be team manager of the of the Yorkshire region, and then was sort of fortunately enough to kind of progress and and be team manager of the the north, which is the next sort of step up on the ladder to that England University squad. Uh, so, what what have you made of your involvement? You know, since being involved in those regionals, then. I mean, what I will say, you know, wherever you are in in the country, um, the the lads that come through that setup, if they're successful for the final twenty for for Yorkshire, the southwest, or indeed the north as they progress up the ladder, uh, they've got to be really committed. You know, it's um, they're not getting paid. Uh, mm. They're committing a lot of. If you imagine students today, they've got the university studies. They'll probably have part time jobs. And then we're asking them to commit to probably two to three training sessions and then a game at each each step along the way. And that's probably additional to their you know, university rugby league commitments as well. And some of them are, are at professional clubs. So that they're highly committed individuals and people. Uh, and then... Uh- so, so I suppose I, what we can say is that you know, full kudos to them, you know, for being able to uh, give that time to balance the studies, to balance everything else that goes with student life too. Yeah, they, they've certainly got to be committed, and I, I kind of touched on some of them are in professional environments, and I would say it's probably an, an easy way for some of the clubs in the Championship and League One to, to recruit players that. Are, getting into an environment where they're only going to get better with a bit of coaching in that program they'll probably get a bit better than what they are in the university setup and the right they've probably got the right sort of mentality to commit to play league one and championship we, we often talk don't we you know about um you know like where the professional and semi-professional game goes uh the 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 outreach that we've got at this moment in time and and you know you talking about that that the students, the universities, obviously there's such a, a university network right across the countries. In a lot of ways, it's still an untapped market, isn't it? It is very much untapped. And I completely agree on that. The, I think over the last sort of five years, professional clubs across the board are getting more clued up to it as a an easy scouting mission. I suppose if you go to 
we used to have regional carnivals where well, we we did this year actually and they were historically at Loughborough um, but this year they've moved to um, Sheffield Hallam Sport Park so you if you're a professional club scout or coach you could go down there to the regionals on that um, weekend before Christmas and you could see some of the best talent in the university sector from across the country and all you have to do is just go to that one event and it's going to get even more exciting and competitive when the north play the south and that's on the 4th of february at um at hallam's facility as well i mean you, you touched on it there i mean the different the different sort of facilities i think the one that you're talking about i actually visited um it's where sheffield used to play isn't it a few years ago i believe they did yeah um while the I think Don Valley sort of got demolished in there and then they had a period where they did play there and they had a couple of games at Doncaster, I think, in that period. And now they've got the, the brand new stadium, which they moved to, which is um, fantastic by all accounts. I've not been there yet, though. Uh, I've recently been uh, to, to that Bartry Road thing with the, um, uh, the Cross League. So the Cross League World Cup which was held back in November, um, you know, and it is an impressive facility, you know, so I'm guessing that you've been made to feel welcome there, have you? Yeah, absolutely. And I went down to some of the the, um, the Cross League, X League um, World Cup. Someone I know um, played for the Scotland squad in the Scotland setup. So I went down for the second day on the uh, Saturday. And that, that's the same campus where, you know, we're playing all these regional North v South Origin games as well. It's um, it's a great area to to have events and festivals like this. You mentioned about it moving from Loughborough. Was, was was there a reason behind that? Was it more logistical or was he just thinking, well, that's more central point? Well, well, Dave Butler, who runs the programme, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, he does live in Sheffield, so it's a <laughs> bit handy for him when he's, he's organising things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he won't mind. I'm sure he won't mind. But I mean, it, it is it is always good to you know like hear more about this as well. I mean, we, we've also got competitive uh, university leagues as well, haven't we? And um, I, I know I was certainly involved in commentating on the uh, Bucks Big Wednesday uh, last year uh, with the finals, um, and there were two cracking games. In fairness, yeah, I might, I'm not involved in the sort of student league day today, um, but I understand sort of Leeds Beckett and. Northumbria University over most recent years mm. have been sort of the top top two performing universities at an elite level and you know in all honesty I think the quality in those sides that they could be a sort of top end league one bottom end of championship quality yeah I mean to be fair I mean it's been um it's been rich pickings, I suppose, for Newcastle over the last few years hasn't it you know for their academy set up and then reserves etc yeah, and I think Newcastle going from a full-time environment back to a part-time environment, that will really benefit people in the, the college programme. And, you know, the North East isn't seen as a what we might term, term a development area in the past. I think it's part of the heartlands really now with a lot of community clubs feeding in to the Thunder, under-19 setups, and obviously the universities as well. There's a strong talent pool to feed into to Newcastle and they've probably got the, the pick of the best players because there's no other clubs on the doorstep up there professionally, is there? Uh, that's true, that's true. Uh, I mean, you know, as well from, from your earlier roles that you, you sort of spoke about, um, 
what 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 for you has been the big challenge? Because I mean, you you seem to like a challenge anyway, don't you? If you don't mind me saying, Chris. I mean, you know, um, clubs in Bath where there's there's not, I suppose, uh, an established rugby league set up around there. It's all a rugby union area, um, yeah. and you was heavily involved in in sort of the running of that club for for a good while, wasn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always think, why do something easy? Um, <laughs> I'm always there. <laughs> challenge. I'm always after, yeah, always like a challenge, and the small victories, I suppose, in as you go through any um, challenges. But I think Newcastle is, is a model that other areas, if they're trying to grow the game, should try and follow. And I really don't know how they've I think partly because there was quite a lot of RFL resource uh, staff wise in there some years ago that helped them Mm. develop but it's not all about money and uh, paid paid staff personnel they've sort of the thunder have taken that on and I think in the northeast they just they love football up there don't they and I think now they they love rugby league they love rugby union so it it can can coexist coincide with uh, rugby union quite well and be an alternative rather than it seen as going after the same player pool and and players can migrate to the to the sport that they prefer but you know it's it was certainly a lot more challenging in places like bath where you know union is um is really the the rugby king down there and uh trying to attract players to play is is very hard but you know, generally, when you get them through the doors and they play rugby league, not many don't like it. Um, they like the physical a bit, or the the more regular physical and the ability to attack and opportunity to to play on the pitch more so than the union game. Uh, how did you go about setting, or, or you know, going towards setting that club up in a way? If you don't mind me asking, Chris, was it a case of um, because people had seen it at university level, getting those guys back involved? It was more, you know, I've always been sort of grown up in and around the York area. Um, watched the City Knights as a local club and then I've worked pretty much my whole career in different um, sports related jobs like facility management and mm-hmm. sports development for local authorities and even worked for the RFL directly for a, a couple of years in their club and competition department. So. I got a job down in Wiltshire and as part of my um, introductions in the wider leisure team, I said, look, there's no rugby league down here. I think there was Swindon, Swindon St. George is quite the nearest, mm-hmm. but there was nothing in Bath or or indeed Wiltshire. So um, after the 2013 World Cup, there was a chap who um, lived in one of the, the local towns in Wiltshire and he'd seen the, I don't know if he'd been to the game in Bristol, you know, the one that everyone talks about where there was seven, 8,000 people there on a Tuesday or Thursday night. And it, it was fantastic for the for the locality, the, the west of England. And he'd seen that and he said, well, I, I want to replicate that at our facility. And it was, I think they play cricket in the summer, football in the, in the winter. Right. I want a sports club, essentially. It was a... It was just a fantastic um, rural facility with great changing rooms. And he said, I want to bring rugby league here. Um, so I met this chap in the, the summer, I think it was, June or July. And I said, well, yeah, I'd be keen to get involved in that. I'll, I'll help you. And 
I could be your team manager. Um, but I said, there's two key things. We need a coach mm. and uh, we need some players then. Um, so it, it kind of left, we left it like that for some months because we didn't have a coach and we didn't, you know, without a coach, you probably don't want to start attracting players because you're not professional in, in any sense. So um, we found a coach or he rung me just before Christmas and said, oh, I think I found a coach. Um, a chap who was in the military called Tom Howley. He'd played for um, the UK, well, the army, the mm-hmm. army representative side and the, um, what do you call the one where they all, the um, armed forces, that's the one. Yeah, the full UK armed forces side. Yeah, yeah. He, he played for them and done some coaching in the military as well. So he probably quite influential around rugby league players who are from the north from local army barracks who might be able to dip in and play so we said right let's let's go for it and then in the um in the sort of january february we said we sort of met up as a embryonic committee and agreed roles and responsibilities and how to get a club up and running and we said oh let's just play friendly so there was a school of thought around let's just play friendlies and i said no we won't get players to commit if it's just friendlies we need to we need to go for it. Um, and Tom managed to kind of commandeer some of his colleagues from the military uh, who were good players, but they're all not always available with their um, their military commitments. And then we, we got some um, good quality rugby union talented players from local Wiltshire clubs such as Trowbridge and Chippenham and, and Corsham, sort of the... The, the township areas outside Bath and managed to win the West of England League straight off that, that first season. So it's was, it was pretty good. So you, so you go from like nothing 12 months earlier to then being a league champion come 12 months later with, you know, a pretty good base of talent. Yeah, although it was, um, it was great that first season. It was quite, quite magical for for everyone involved but then the, some people might talk about like the second season syndrome if you like where the um a lot of the the guys who were uh, played rugby league since they were a kid from the north they they moved on to to fight the nasty guys i suppose abroad and also um other barracks that were weren't very local so the club was nearly solely reliant then in the second year on uh, local rugby union talent. Mm. And it did fulfil, the club fulfilled all its fixtures. And for me as a team manager, I think that's really important. Even if you know you're going to struggle, you've got to fulfil all your fixtures because everyone else who's trying to develop and grow the game in that area, if you don't give them a game, it, it hurts other clubs and things can start to dissolve if you don't sort of front up and play when you know it's going to be hard one thing that i'm always keen of when i, I do these sort of chats is to because because you know we i'd like to think that the people that listen to this show are from all kinds of different areas to be honest but perhaps you know there's some people that have you know they've just followed their ncl club they've uh, they follow the professional game they don't quite understand in some respects some of the difficulties that are involved. I mean, you mentioned them, you know, the fact that, you, you know, um, through 
through no fault other than you know association um he ended up in a position where the club was a lot weaker because it couldn't bring those or have those same players that it had uh, you know relied upon in the first season in the second season and it's it's kind of replicated right across the country that isn't it you know it's so difficult in developing areas um, to, to get traction in some respects yeah and what we used to do like to think we're quite good with the um, the social media channels um, I set them up initially and there was another chap um, from the local area from uh, Froome Rugby Club called Matt Warnock who was really good at churning out attractive looking graphic designs and so that we we probably looked a lot more professional on our social channels than what we were in practice mm. if I'm completely honest and I, I look at the likes of sort of Wigan St. Patrick's in the Heartlands and and Heweth in my home city of York, and probably historically they haven't needed to um, do the big sell on social media because they've got juniors coming through, and then they'll they'll go into the open age. Um, but in developmental areas, you've got to try everything you can to let people know you're there. And you know, we had we had some some success. Um, there was some uh, as a lad called Josh Frost who. Um, did play a bit at Bath. Uh, he played a bit at University of Gloucester, who mentioned before, quite strong over the years in rugby league. Come from a union background, and he managed to get all the way through to England universities. Okay. Sadly, he sadly couldn't play because it was the COVID year. So oh, he no. got selected, and then that, I think it must have been his last year of university, and he, he then didn't have another opportunity. Uh, I mean, hopefully he's still playing rugby of some description somewhere, but probably rugby union again, do you think? He is based around the um, Glastonbury area. Uh, music lovers around will will be aware of that. Um, he did have a couple of games for West Wales Raiders uh, last year and I think the, the year before, but it, it was just so far for him to travel from his base. I think it was a, a five-hour round trip and it, you know, it's really difficult for it to be um, sustainable for players like that okay um so so n- now your your latest venture if you don't mind me saying is is with the uh, the new wheelchair rugby league side that's been set up in edinburgh um how did yeah. you how did you get approached to you know be involved there and and how's that going yeah i'm not really sure how i, I kind of got approached i think um I think we're all rugby league fans and people who love the game got excited about the rugby league world cup in all of its forms and i think wheelchair was particularly the the variant that people who don't already watch rugby league sort of raved about the the wheelchair and how good it was to watch and you know i've got no previous experience of the the wheelchair format of the game like you said i've got the experience of establishing a a running club as the the kind of the wheelers would call that that form of the the sport um but I'm, i maybe put something on my social media or those sort of channels saying how exciting the wheelchair was and uh, martin gill who's um set it up he contacted me on on linkedin and said oh, I'm, I'm starting this project do you want to get involved and i said well um york's a bit far from edinburgh but yeah certainly i'll i'll help Anyway, I can. Uh, and then next thing you know, you're in Zoom meetings, etc., etc. Are you? 
Yeah, of course. And, you know, coming out of COVID and um, things like that, you can do, I think, businesses and even clubs such as that, we've realised that you can do more over Zoom. And whilst you still do need some people there on the ground that are going to be training every week and things like that. But, you know, I, I just want to share my sort of experience, advice and guidance and, you know, guide them on the right path from from my experience to to try and make sure it's a real successful club. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you've got a lot to offer, haven't you, with your experiences down in Bath and the other things that you've been involved in, to be honest, Chris? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. I'd say I've not experienced wheelchair sports as such, but I, I guess it's no different. Or, well, actually, it's probably a bit, bit more difficult because you, you need more resources. Yeah. Um, so in in the running game, I, I guess all you need to you need some rugby posts, you need to be line marked correctly, somewhere to get changed and train, and and off you go. But the the wheelchair format needing sports halls um, can be um, more costly to fund. So yeah. um, you and, need significantly more resources and financially. Then- and then you've got all the wheelchairs as well, haven't you, themselves, where, you know, you can spend anything from 1500 up to about £6,000 a chair, can't you? Yeah, we've, we've been quite fortunate with that. Martin's Well Connected, he used to be the um, Leeds Rhinos wheelchair coach. I think he took them from bottom of the wheelchair league to, to top. Um, and he was the, I think he's previously the, the previous England wheelchair coach before um the current um coach of the the setup yeah so he's well connected and i think we we managed to secure some um wheelchairs from i think it was north wales crusaders wheelchair setup hope i've got that that plug right um and we've also been successful in securing some world cup funding to buy some new new chairs so i think we're up to about 13 chairs oh now. excellent excellent so, that's, i mean that's that's a great starting point isn't it that you know because you've got sort of like your, your 10 players haven't you that are involved five on a court and then five five off it yeah and martin set up a website we've got all the i don't think we're into the tiktok yet but we've got the facebook uh twitter instagram or on, on linkedin and we've set up a, or Martin set up a form on there so people can express an interest. And already he's got people from all over Scotland wanting to have a go. So that's really great. And we're only early days as well. I mean, that's so exciting, isn't it? You know, as well. And people will have seen this. And this is the, this is the beauty of getting all of the competitions, all the variants of rugby league um, uh, for for that, for that World Cup all on BBC channels, wasn't it? Because, you, you know, you're getting far more eyes and I suppose making much more of an impact than you would do had it, you know, been on, um, you know, a, a, a Sky television programme or, you know, on cable somewhere. Yeah, and I think we'll probably get to see the full impact of the the Rugby League World Cup in its entirety because we're talking about the, the university setup, we're talking mm. about wheelchair, but... I think there's a lot of growth. I think there's potential to grow exponentially, particularly in the wheelchair format and the women's game. The women's game is already growing massively, 
isn't it? It is, you know, and it's nice to see your side at York or your team at York doing uh, particularly well uh, and pushing the envelope in a lot of ways with that, along with Leeds Rhinos. Yeah, and it is, it's great that some clubs have decided to to pay pay players in the in the women's game as well because you know they certainly deserve it. You know whether there's the financial resource there for all clubs to do it at the moment, it, it, it's a tricky one. But when you go watch games at the top level in the women's Super League, um, just as entertaining as sort of Super League Championship for me, if not more so. Uh, Steve, um, you know, who I do the show with, um, you, you know, like he's he's sort of like got watching some of the women's rugby league since I've been sort of commentating and doing little bits and bobs. And he said the same thing, you know, he he enjoys that level of rugby league now. Um, and, and I do, to be honest, because there's not the same sort of, you know, <laughs> low flying testosterone, shall we say, and uh, players coming together half as much. Yeah, no, I... And I think it's a different sort of, um, there's less of the, I know we've probably seen this week about rugby union potentially changing their rules around tackling. There's less of this up top tackling that you get in the men's game and, and really good sort of lower level hits, mm. um, which you probably saw in the men's game, I don't know, in, in the um, sort of 1990s or later. But I find that more attractive to watch. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I would also say as well another thing that goes uh, about that that sort of format of the sport as well is um, it's getting better all the time. You can see the skills levels really picking up as a result of you know those those differences that we talked about. There's a more willingness to attack, and I suppose in a lot of ways when you go to um, you know like a women's super league game, for example, in comparison to a, a community game. Um, it's a friendlier atmosphere in some respects as well, isn't it? You know, it's a lot more supportive, I guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so as well. I'd, I'd like to see more of these um, women's games sort of standalone in the, the Super League and the Championship because I, I think there's a, an audience there of people that that want to watch them live. And, you know, if they're on TV, I'm sure, or various formats on the internet, I'm sure people are watching remotely. But also going along to the those type of games on a nice summer's day it's you know it's really attractive and I know they were really disappointed in the World Cup to lose in the semi-final to New Zealand in mm. fact I went to see it here at the, the fantastic new um, community stadium in, in York and it's a great event nearly full 7,000 odd people there and I know they were disappointed but considering the um, New Zealand and Australia I believe the full-time professional over there most of them Considering a lot of our squad aren't or weren't at the time, you know they competed really well, and I think that's only going to get better and, and quite quickly, in my view. I think they closed the gap because was it uh, in the 2017 World Cup they played against New Zealand and lost by 50 points, um, and, and it was one of those where, but for one or two little choices, you know, a pass sticking here and all there, and uh, you know a little bit better execution, England were well in that game against New Zealand, weren't they? Yeah, ab- absolutely, and I suppose we we talk about the the financial rewards and the any ladies that are playing the game that aren't getting paid. I suppose now there's there's the opportunity to go go down to Australia, maybe play in their competition. So if more clubs in the UK don't start paying it, it's a case 
I guess the problem we have a little bit in the men's game where talent goes to Australia, mm. which is is positive for the national side because I think it improves improves those players coming back into our England men's squad. But it, you know, it's chicken and egg, I suppose, isn't it? It is definitely. Um, now, I want to bring us back to community rugby league. Obviously, you know this is the main focus of our show. But I suppose the beauty is we, we can dip in and talk about anything um, as this chat has shown. To be honest, Chris, we go wherever, don't we? We do. We <laughs> certainly do. But I, I'm sort of thinking. Obviously, you're from York. Um, there, there has been a, a, a certainly a, a, a rise and rise and rise of the York clubs, hasn't there? In from a community point of view, Hewitt are doing particularly well at the moment. They've got themselves promoted into NCL Division One. Uh, York Acorn have survived another season at National Conference Premier Division level. Um, you know, and there's 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 other excellent work that's being done at the other clubs uh, in and around the town, isn't there? You know, so at the moment it seems like it's booming a little bit in York. W- would you agree? Yeah, I, I was involved as a, a bit as a volunteer at the club in one of my various roles. Not not anymore, but um, for quite a long stretch of the sort of John Flatman and James Ford era, sort of supporting them, organising and coordinating match days. So I've seen it from sort of late 2016, mm. from when John took over into 2017, and it, it just kind of got better and better and better and I think the if you look at the playing talent at the time sort of 2017 18 19 those years if you looked at the team sheet you know anyone who knows rugby league would probably say that they probably overachieved and that was what was exciting for anyone around the club be it the the owners volunteers the fan base and and playing at Booth and Crescent the football ground as well although it's it was a tired old ground it was i remember some days where york almost beat catalan in in the cup it was three thousand people there toronto going there and i think york were the first might have been one of the first clubs to beat toronto when they were a highly successful four thousand people there it was just a, a great kind of um match day experience and i think that as well as the community club like you mentioned in York, Hewith recently got promoted. I think it's to NCL one. You might correct me on that. Um, Acorn, a bit higher up. I think they're still in the in the Prem. Um, big rivalry between Hewith and Acorn. Whenever they play each other in in York, it, it's always a big game. A few hundred people going to watch. And then there's the emergence of I don't know if you've seen a team called York Barbarians, and I think they're they're based out of York City Knights training ground. And and what 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 are they? Are they another community club? What what's their aim? The Barbarians. Uh, I've just seen them pop up recent. I think the aim of them is the um, the York City Knights support York Saint John University. I think they've got partnership by the the foundation. And the aim of that is anyone sort of graduating, I think, who stays in the York area can then go on and play for York Barbarians, but they're also, you know, open to recruiting anyone and everyone, a bit like what I was doing when I was in Bath. Oh, that's that's, that's a good idea, you know, because then if players are uh, staying locally, you know, they've still got the opportunity to, to, to play for a community club, haven't they? You know, and um, I suppose if it's if it's got the connections within the within the university, it's another one of those chicken and egg intake situations, you know, where it's fostering itself, I suppose. 
Yeah, ab absolutely. And and there's other community clubs, remember we should name if we're talking about York, there's the New Ways with Callbacks, which have been around for some years. They they play in the Yorkshire League. They're not far from York's training ground. But the, So the big rivalry is sort of Hewith in the side of the city where I live, not far from the, the community stadium and Acorn sort of at the, the Leeds end of the of the city, if you like, are the, the two big rivals. And then we've also got a bit of Masters activity going on. There's there's York Masters and Southlands Masters. I, I may play a bit of that sometime when I want to try and get a bit fit. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about Southlands, actually. I know that, uh, uh, you know, they're on my hit list to come and have a chat with as part of this show, to be honest, Chris. So, um, yeah, because they, they were a side that was, was going many moons ago. And then I think um, I saw their social media saying they've just come out of the longest pre-season ever, which is about 30 years or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I understand that it's a chap called Simon Moat behind it, who's um, a chap who's um, lots highly experienced in um, the community game in York, lots of knowledge, and I'm sure he'll be able to tell you some really interesting stories about rugby league over the years oh. in around the community game in York. Well, certainly one thing we love on this show as part of 13 Prime Community is uh, we love a story or two. Uh, Chris, is there anything that I haven't talked to you about or anything that you maybe was half expecting me to ask you about that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to, to, to talk about now? Yeah, no, I think I think we've, we've spoken about the wheelchair, which is a really exciting uh, new project. Um, the university's um, involvement, it, you know, is great. I've, I've spoken about the, um, the commitment from everyone involved and... Mm -hmm. The challenge sometimes around getting facilities to to train at because it, it you know it's all goodwill dave you know we rely on goodwill in rugby league and you know i'd sort of like to say thanks to um to hull fc york city knights and northumbria university where we've um trained recently because they're all kind of doing their best to support the program which it's a collective effort and um you know, no one's no one's getting any money. So that that kind of that kind of ethos runs runs through the university program, and um, you know, it, it's a great resource for these um, professional clubs to be looking for future talent. Yeah, I I echo that. Um, you know, and I look forward to seeing how the universities progress over the course of this year. You know, certainly a lot to. To, a lot going on and uh, um so so uh, just just remind me i know you mentioned it before but my memory's a little bit like a sim chris um when's this next game taking place uh, and it's the big one isn't it it's the big one yeah it's the north via the south saturday the 4th of february kickoff 3 3 p.m in sheffield uh, and if you make sure that you get a, a report to us, uh, I'm sure that Dave will anyway, because he's you know he's always well organised, isn't he, in that, that respect. But uh, we'll we'll make sure that we go through it on this this show as well, Chris. He is very well organised. Is 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 DB? Um, you'll have to do a show with him um, some point. I'll tell you what. That was another conversation that went in so many different directions. What an interesting fella! How many things has he done? I said, you just can't get over it. I mean, he's got... They talk about having fingers in pies. He'd have had to have 10 fingers on each hand, I think. 
I know, absolutely unbelievable. And, and you know, the fact that we were talking to Phil before and off-air Phil said, oh, he's worked at Hunslet as mm-hmm. well. Get that one quiet. He never mentioned that he'd worked at Hunslet as a general manager. Well, like he said at the beginning, there, uh, you know, when you you were giving him the, uh, the, the the intro, and he was saying, oh, yeah, they're the current things. So it made you think, my God, if they're the current things, how, how many other things have you done? And obviously, same as you just said, uh, uh, Phil knew him straight away and, and could fill us in on other other bits and bobs that he's done. Um, I hope that you've really enjoyed the show this evening. Uh, once again, it has been an absolute delight bringing it to you. Uh, Steve, any final thoughts? Uh, just just one. I, I uh, was on to uh, find out about, was there any structures out at the moment, league structures for the Northwest Men's League? Uh, because uh, obviously chopping and changing things around, which obviously they do each season. Um, From what I can gather, there may be something out by the end of this week, so we'll certainly bring that over to you uh, on uh, on our show next week. Uh, So that that was the only thing, because that will be interesting, because obviously some of the the teams that we've got lined up to have interviews with, uh, some of who we've spoken to in the past, we can ask them how they went on, you know, in the, the last season and, and how they think they're going to fur in whatever division they're in uh, this coming season. That that will be really interesting. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, if you've enjoyed this show, you're going to love next week's because we've got uh, Mighton and Hull Dockers coming on. Uh, now, they're playing off against each other for the Chris K Cup. Um, sadly, he was a guy that served both clubs with absolute distinction, passed away a couple of years ago, but they're playing for a cup in his memory. Uh, of course, both of those clubs uh, playing in the National Conference League. Uh, we'll hear about how they've strengthened, how things are looking, and also who they've got on the horizon in the Challenge Cup. That's going to be something else to look forward to, isn't it, Steve? It is. It's very much in the... Uh... It's, it's strange as the amount of uh, you know sort of memorial games that are going on at the moment. But obviously, people want friendly games, and I think you know if we can remember players, uh, past players who who are not with us anymore, uh, by having a you know a, a top class rugby game, that's a, that's absolutely fantastic. I think. So that's us done and dusted for episode number two of the twenty twenty three season. Will you be following us for episode three? See you soon. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.